So this is a day for new beginnings and fresh starts and second and third and 50th chances. And uh, one of the ways that Christians have historically celebrated this is through baptism. And so the water imagery has always been very powerful this time of year. What I want to do is I want to take a, a few moments just to set up a bit of what we're going to be doing. And so if you happen to have brought a Bible, let's go to the book of Genesis. If not, grab your app, go to Genesis. Or if you're new to the Bible, uh, we will put everything up on the screen for you to follow Along with, so we're going to go Genesis, then we'll hit a little Revelation, we'll go kind of the whole thing, and, uh, and kids, kids, if you're under the age of 12, it's the boring part, um, think of me as Baymax, if that helps make the time go faster, kind of same body type and haircut and whatever, pasty. All right, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. <laughs> Some of you laughed too, too loud on that. Um, Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I mean, what a way to start. No introduction, no like prologue. It's just boom, God creates. God is real, God creates. And, and there's an interesting word that is used that, that English translates into the word creates. The Hebrew word sitting behind that is the word bara, and it means the kind of creation that only God does. So when God creates, there is a uniqueness to it that's different from when we create. So there are other words in the Hebrew language for create, but this is the only word that's used when God does it. Because God's creation, obviously, his gifts are just a little above ours. So we create, the artists among us, we create using things exactly, amen, we create using things that are already in existence. Only God can create from nothing. And so there's a special word that's used when God creates Barah. Now flip down uh, to verse 27. The same word is used. Not just the heavens and the earth are created in this way, but verse 27, it says, so God created humanity in God's own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Three times, same word is used. It is that unique thing that only God can bring it to existence, applied to the heavens and to the earth, and applied also. Hello, gentlemen. That was very non-distracting. I want you to know that no one noticed you sneaking over into that corner. That was very sly. Baker. Now, <laughs> so that same word applied, applied not only to the creation of the heavens and earth, but applied to the creation of humanity as well. Now, go to the book of Revelation. If you don't know where that is, go to the end, to the table of weights and measures, and turn left. And you will be in the book of Revelation. Go to the last, uh, second to last chapter, verse, uh, chapter 21. And I want to show you how the story ends. The story begins... The biblical story begins with God creating a heavens and an earth and with God dwelling on earth with human beings. And the story ends in a very similar way. Notice Revelation 21, verse 1. The writer says, Then I saw a what? A new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city in New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne at the center of the universe saying, Look, God's dwelling is now with the people and He will dwell with them. They will be His people. God Himself will be their God. And then it says there is no more crying or pain or mourning or tears. The old order of things has passed away. Now, the biblical story. See, I always heard in church that the way the story, biblical story ends is with a bunch of us with harps and wings in an eternal, an eternal church service forever. And I'm a big fan of church services, but not an eternal one. And so, thankfully, the Bible gives a, a, a pretty different picture of how the story ends. The story ends in the same way the story began. God creating a heavens and an earth, and God dwelling with human beings on earth forever. That's the image. So you start with that image, creation, and you end with something called new creation. God refashioning all that God had made. Now we live in the in-between time where uh, biblical language is we live in a fallen world. We live where darkness kind of holds sway in our hearts and in our culture. All you have to do is look at headlines and you realize this isn't Something's not right. Something's broken. And the brokenness isn't just out there. It's in each and every one of us. And so the biblical story is about what God does, what the creator does to put things back to the way the creator intended. Now, in Jewish thought, it was a pretty straight line. You went from creation and you went through human history to new creation. And, and certainly that's part of the story, but something kind of funky happens in the middle of it. Go if you would to the book of Luke which is Darth Vader's favorite book of uh, the Bible. I just have that on good authority. Luke chapter 24. We read uh, uh, about somebody in um, four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, called Jesus of Nazareth. And he was similar in some ways to the folks of his, his day. He was a Jewish teacher. He gathered disciples. He taught in parables. He performed miracles. But there were some things that were really unique about Jesus, of course. Uh, the, the fact that Jesus taught with a unique authority, the fact that Jesus offended the religious crowds of his day by hanging out with the unsavory types, the folks that uh, thought, you know, they, the, the Jewish leadership thought were beneath God's attention. And so Jesus stirred quite a bit of controversy. He, like many other failed messiahs, was put to death uh, on a Friday. And like so many other stories, we thought that was the end until you read... Luke 24, verse 1, on the first day of the week, which, which had been a Sunday, very early in the morning, the women who were followers of Jesus took spices they prepared and went to the tomb where Jesus had been buried. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning. So evidently these were some sort of angelic beings. Two uh, angels stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But these angels said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Which, you know, I would have been terrified, no question. But at least at some time later, I would have thought, because that's usually what happens. The dead stay dead, right? You don't normally, I mean, this is kind of an exceptional thing. Why are you asking me that question? Why do you look for the living among the dead? The angel said, he, Jesus, is not here. He has risen. Remember, he told you about this, that he was going to suffer and die and rise on the third day. Now, so the, these women see an empty tomb, and that's not enough for the resurrection. Jesus begins to appear to his followers. Go, if you would, to verse 36, same chapter. While they, the disciples, were still talking about all that was going on, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. So evidently they were in a room, and Jesus just shows up. 
And the first thing Jesus has to say is, it's going to be okay, guys. Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Jesus said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Well, Jesus, uh, we saw you crucified three days ago. That's kind of why we're doubting this right now. But Jesus says, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself, touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it in the presence. I mean, you've just conquered death and evidently that works up quite an appetite, right? So it's... One of the reasons why I buy this stuff is, is because it's so just odd. If you were making up stuff, you could do better than, than a resurrected Messiah cooking up breakfast for his followers, right? Now, now, what Jesus is doing is he's demonstrating to them that he wasn't like half dead in the tomb and now kind of wandered out or that he's some vision uh, it, it's that, no, 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 he's actually real, he's actually alive, and he has a new kind of body. He still has the scars, evidently, but th- there's something new about his body. It, it still eats and it still works like a human body, but it can appear in the middle of rooms. And, and there are times when his closest followers didn't even recognize it because they just weren't even awake to the fact that he could still be running around. So what begins to happen is instead of going from creation to new creation... You have a resurrection right in the middle of history. And the New Testament writers begin to reflect on why that is such a big deal. Okay, two more passages. I know you love it. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if you don't know where that is, that is right before 2 Corinthians. That is... I got nothing. I literally got nothing from this gentleman right here. Ham is coming. Way to celebrate a Jewish Messiah. Let's, uh, let's have some ham. That's awesome. First Corinthians chapter 15. Now, this is one of the most magnificent chapters in the Bible because all Paul is doing, this guy, it's a writer named Paul, he's a missionary, is he's reflecting on the significance of the resurrection. His big argument is this. If the resurrection didn't happen, the whole Christianity thing is a fraud. Now, you may be thinking that. And Paul would say, if the resurrection didn't happen, that would be true. We're lying about God. We're still in our sins. We're to be pitied if it, if it didn't happen. And then he has this kind of, he turns the argument in verse 20. Notice he says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And then notice this phrase, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, that's a reference to Adam in the Old Testament, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, Jesus. Now, if you don't like get the first fruits metaphor, because, you know, we're not all farmers here, let me explain, let me break it down a little bit for you. All right, I come from the great state of Ohio. In Ohio, we have this thing called seasons. It's where the weather changes. It's very, very dramatic. And, uh, and so, so what you have are these cyclical patterns of weather where you have something called winter that's not 60 degrees. Oh, our scarves. Uh, it, it's, actually, it's actually very cold and, and the land goes dormant. And then you begin to see the first signs of something called spring, and, and trees bud, and you see, you see this. And then, and then pretty soon what farmers begin to do is they start to begin to plan to plant their crops. They do that, and they let them grow over the summer. 
And then right in the beginning of fall, there will, be, there will be the first harvest, the earliest part of the rest of the harvest, called the first fruits of the rest of the harvest. So the first stalks of corn that are ready. And the image that Paul is using is the same image. The resurrection is the first evidence of a bunch of other resurrections coming. What, what the new creation project, if, if you didn't get this, the new creation project was launched in the middle of human history by Jesus, who is the first evidence of the new creation to come. That's the significance of the resurrection, that that new creation happened right in the middle of history. It's not just creation, straight line, new creation. It's creation, Jesus, launches new creation to be fulfilled sometime in the future. You are not sufficiently dazzled by that point, so I will give one more. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is iPad worthy. This is so significant. And, and there will be oohs and ahs. Absolutely. If, 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 if just for any reason to get me off the stage, you will need them. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Notice. Notice what the same writer says here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. Oh. Start it again. Notice what the writer says here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the what? The new creation has what? The old is gone, the new is here. Now, this word, creation, is the exact same word, but translated into Greek, that we read in Genesis chapter 1. This bara kind of word. In other words, and I never put this all together, that the new creation launched in Jesus... You and I get to be a part of in virtue of being united with Him. And that literally, God is still creating things. It's not just it happened back then and it will happen in the future. It happens here and now. The same power and authority, the same love and benevolence, the same majesty that spoke the universe into existence now speaks new creation over anybody who would put their confidence in Him. I mean, that's the image. And that turns out to be good news. Sir, the clapping in church. (sighs) You're not from around here, are you? I wouldn't know how to handle that if that happened. Right? This turns out to be really good news. And new creation includes forgiveness of sins. Yes, but it's bigger than that. It's that you're forgiven, you're restored, you're given a new nature, you're given God's Spirit to dwell within you. That you now are the future in the midst of the present. Now, if you're paying attention, which I put maybe 15% or so or more, the natural question is, if that's true, if we're sitting around a bunch of new creations, how come you can't tell? How come it isn't more obvious? If you're here... And you've been hurt by the church, or people in the church, more specifically. And you look at the hypocrisy and the whatever, and you go, well, that's, that's no new creation there. That's a very legitimate question. And it's interesting, Jesus kind of sets this idea up, because he teaches about his movement in really interesting ways. So Jesus will say things like this. Let me tell you what my movement's like. My movement is like a little bit of seed, planted in a big old field and you're not going to notice it at first but give it enough time it's going to grow into a shrub that will take over the whole field 
It's like a little batch of yeast put into bread dough. Right? We all know this image. And, it, and at first, you're not going to notice until it infects the whole batch. Jesus, the way new creation works, evidently, is yes, there'll come a point in the future where it's like, boom, old and new. But evidently now, it's working its way out in small and often subtle ways. Now, that's not true for everybody. Like my wife, when I met my wife, she'd been a Christian about a year, and she has a before and after. She has a dramatic moment. It's like she can tell you the exact moment she said yes to Jesus, the exact moment he said yes to her. I mean, she's got the time, the date, the place, the exact words. I wasn't like that. For me, it was like slow and steady baby steps in the words of what about Bob, right? I mean, just little steps and sometimes back and sometimes forward and it's working its way out. And the way God does this is he doesn't force it. He allows it to bloom and to blossom. It's kind of like, it's kind of like think about, for those of you that are married, um, it was weird that you got married before you knew what being married meant, correct? So, so think about it. I'm 29, not presently, but I was 29. And, and I stood in, in a church, and I came in as a single person, and then this pastor said, I pronounce you husband and wife, and I was a husband, correct? Now, if you knew me or heard me tell any of my stories, you know that I did not have any idea what being a husband meant. But... I was now invited to become what was already true of me. I'm a husband and learning to be a husband. I'm new creation, learning to be new creation. You have children, you have no idea how it works to be a parent. And yet they're here. And you are. Right? And so you learn to be what's already true. This is how the Bible describes new creation. Take off your old self, put on your new self. This is how it works. For some, it's slow and subtle. And for some, it's dramatic and abrupt. And it's all okay, however it goes. But the point of resurrection isn't just to show that Jesus was God. And it's not just to show that Jesus rose from the dead and there's life after death. It's also to show that the same power that declared creation and new creation wants to speak creation and new creation over you. And that, brothers and sisters, is why it is that we make a big deal out of this. It's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's something that still happens among God's people today. And because new creation looks so different, I mean, one of the best ways to describe it is through this idea of baptism. We're fans of water, but there's a really really big significance attached to the image of going into the water and coming out of the water. And the Bible says, listen, it's the image of an old self dying and a new self being born. And it will be born imperfectly and it will be reborn uh, for some dramatically, for some subtly, but nevertheless, the same authority that spoke, let there be light, is the same authority that speaks new creation. So, we wanted you to hear from a couple other folks. I want to invite a couple of folks to come up and share. We just think there's so much power in hearing new creation stories because no two stories are alike. And I can imagine looking out on you, uh, there are all kind of stories sitting in this place. So I want to invite two folks up. This is Aaron over here. Aaron uh, is one of our pastors. And uh, 
He has a great story, but we're not going to hear from him, thankfully. We're going to hear... <laughs> We've got uh, Ladies, Tara. Ladies, don't rush. Come on, don't come rush. on up. We're waiting for you. We've got Tara okay. and Tiffany. Can you give a huge, warm welcome? Tara come on and up. Tiffany. So Tara is going to share first her story of new creation. Thank you. Happy Easter. <laughs> My name is Tara, and I am so... Hold it close. We're, we're, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. <laughs> I am so excited to get baptized. I have butterflies in my stomach. Those same butterflies that came the night before my wedding day or that car ride to the hospital before I gave birth to my son. I knew my life was about to change in a huge way, in the best way possible. But what comes with the best day follows a lifetime commitment of working my hardest to be the best wife, the best mother, and the best follower of Christ that I can be. So today is not only about the huge celebration of getting baptized, but also the promise to dedicate my entire life to our Savior. My parents have always instilled the importance of having Jesus as the center of my life. While growing up, my parents went to two different churches, and they wanted to allow my siblings and I to decide what church that we wanted to be baptized in. My grandparents found Evie Free Fullerton many years ago, and soon my entire family was coming to church on Sundays. Um, Four years ago, my my husband and I were blessed enough to have Pastor Dale um, officiate our marriage. And this is the church that I want to raise my family in. Well, any service except the 10 o'clock service. (laughs) Um, Over the years, (laughs) over the years, I became complacent and comfortable just saying my prayers when I needed to ask for something or just going to church when the time allowed. It's not like I gave up my faith or my love for Jesus Christ. It was more like when you move away from a best friend and that distance is put between you and you just get caught up in life. Now that having Jesus back at the center of my life, I don't feel like he judges me or asks me, Tara, where have you been? Or why have you been so distant? Instead, I feel like he's scooping me up in his arms and saying, I have never left your side. The reason I want to get baptized today is to confirm my love and dedication to Jesus Christ in front of my family, my friends, and everyone here today. After my son was born 10 months ago, a fire was lit inside my heart, and I am yearning for a closer relationship with God. So here I am today, giving my entire heart to Jesus Christ, and what makes it even more special is getting baptized alongside my cousin and my sister today on Easter Sunday. (laughs) Thank you very, very much. Okay. Uh, hi, my name is Tiffany Ward. Uh, I was born into a Christian family, so I've always defined myself as a Christian. But as I've matured, I've come to a better appreciation of the beauty and responsibility that stems from a walk with Jesus. So my story is more of a growing in Christ story than it is a coming to Christ story. That said, my walk with God hasn't exactly been a linear one. I have a history of distancing myself from him when nursing pain, anger, and grief— But more recently, I've discovered that tendencies towards convenience and laziness have been just as damaging to my spirituality, and I've been a pretty lazy Christian. I convinced myself that as long as I tried to be a good person and believed that I could keep God at arm's length, then that would be enough. And it's not enough anymore. In the last few years, I've witnessed the power and relentlessness in God's pursuit of me, and finally, I'm surrendering to it. I want to pursue him the way that he pursues me, and I'm ready to give myself to his plan. 
This can get tricky because there are certain areas of my life where his suggestions are far less audible than others, and for those, I'm going to have to work on being a more active listener. But for the person he wants me to become, he's never been more clear. He wants, he's calling me to be humble and kind. He's calling me to be aware of when I'm coveting, gossiping, or being judgmental and to extinguish it. He wants me to be a stronger prayer and to ask for patience, fighting against my tendency to be so quick to anger. He wants to show me what a relationship with him looks like so that I'll know how to best emulate it in my own marriage. He wants me to be so generous with my time, money, compassion, and love that others are able to experience even the slightest hint of what God's love feels like. He wants me to monitor when I'm holding grudges and harboring resentments, and he wants me to forgive as he forgives. And I want to be that person for him. For me, this baptism not only allows the people I love to witness my promise, therefore providing a sense of earthly accountability, but it also serves as my personal testimony of my commitment to do my best to be that person. And I know we're all sinners, and we'll all have missteps in our attempts to live like Jesus, but my heart is so full with the desire to try. So despite the inevitability of falling short, I will take this step, exercising my faith in God's guidance to lead me to whatever will best glorify him. Thank you, and happy Easter. Thank you. This way. Thank you, guys. So new creation just looks different for everybody. Uh, A buddy of mine just accepted Jesus uh, a month ago or so and um, came back two weeks later and said, hey, this is really hard. I kind of thought it would get easier once I, once I did this. Now, for those of you that have followed him, is that how it works? Uh, not always, right? And, and so we, we got talking. I'm like, what, like what's, what's hard? He said, well, there's this battle going on all the time. You know, I mean, I want to do something, and then there's this other voice, and da-da-da-da-da. And, and I said, well, let me ask you a question. Was there a battle before? He was like, no. There was no battle. I said, so perhaps that there is one is actually evidence that new creation is being birthed in you, right? Maybe, the, maybe when you were just on autopilot, that was easy. But now that God's at work, not everything likes that. And so, brothers and sisters, new creation can be expressed in the midst of doubts and pain, walking away. Our Jesus, he's big enough and good enough to handle anything you can throw at him. He already knows it anyway. He's not surprised by it. And the thing that you see in Jesus is if this is what God is like, it turns out that God is fantastic. Way better than Christians, way better than the church. Right? He is love incarnate. And so, uh, men and women, we are going to do some baptisms today. And as always, we open those up to anyone here who would love to be baptized. Um, No pressure. Uh, Some will ask, hey, well, I was baptized as a kid. Should I do it again? We honor the faith of any parents that baptize their kids as an infant. And so we honor that. We also believe that baptism is a conscious decision for you uh, to make your faith your own. And so we welcome that. We have shirts and towels for those who did not come prepared. And there have been many soggy feet uh, leaving our time together this morning. But we also want to give you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And we're going to do that in, in kind of a unique way. We're, we're going to, before we do the baptisms, we're actually going to read a prayer together up on the screen. And um, if you do not want to follow Jesus, do not read the prayer, okay? Because the prayer is about following Jesus, all right? So totally, it's a mumble or don't say anything. But this is, see, Jesus, if, once you start giving him permission, he's a very disruptive presence, 
in your life. He loves you perfectly exactly where you're at, and he loves you too much to let you stay there. And so he just starts inviting you to different and newer things, things that embody the new life and new creation that you are. And so um, these, are, these are things we don't just say flippantly or lightly. If you follow Jesus forever, say these again. And if you want to follow Jesus for the first time, we believe there are some of you that are here and God has been relentlessly pursuing you. And there is a moment, we think, where a surrender has to take place. And so if that's this moment, then we will celebrate with you. But if you would stand, if you're able to stand, I want us to stand and read this. When it says reader... I'm the reader. When it says congregation, that would be you. All right? So let's read this together. God, in response to your grace, we join with millions of others today to proclaim the reality and hope of the resurrection of Jesus. Read this together. Gracious God, we thank you for loving us so much that you gave your son Jesus to live die and rise again so that we might have new life with you. We acknowledge that Jesus endured the agony of the crucifixion willingly for the joy set before him so that we could be given a new beginning. Lord Jesus Christ, in response to your gracious invitation, we pledge our lives to you. Let's all read this together. We ask that you would forgive us. We ask that you would restore us. We ask that you would grant us eternal life. We give our hopes to you. We give our fears to you. We give our dreams to you. We give our doubts to you. We turn from our ways and we turn from our plans to your plans. We invite you to come into our lives and take your rightful place. Amen and amen. And so, brothers and sisters, We have three different spots for you this morning. Spot number one is back in this corner. There are some folks there in blue shirts, not Honda people. These are people that are called the Believe Team. If you prayed that for the first time, if you've received Jesus, go see them. They will bless you, pray with you, uh, and talk to you more about that. We have a prayer team that will be over in this corner to pray for any burdens that you're carrying in here. And then we have baptism teams down here. Now, we do fully expect to throw a large party in the next several moments. So get your hands warmed up for some clapping. I want to pray and then we will begin. Father, we bless you for what you have done in Jesus. And we thank you, mighty God, that we get to be a part. Father, fill us with your spirit and seal this moment in our hearts, we pray. Amen.